Welcome to Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkgaard. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of Valerie, her guests, and callers. Now here's your host, Valerie Kirkgaard. Hey there, you guys. Good day, America. You're listening to Waking Up in America. We're a premier radio magazine, and we provide listeners with powerful conversations of excellence for body, mind, and spirit. So come be a fly on the wall with us and listen to the most intriguing conversations in radio. Be an insider. and You can get it only here on Waking Up in America. I'm your host. I'm Dr. Valerie Ann Kirkgaard. I've played polo, firewalked, piloted planes, carried the Olympic torch, and most recently fulfilled a lifelong dream of participating at the UN, and we'll have more about that today. The people on Waking Up in America and the people that we talk to are people that have some kind of a passion that beats in their chest, something that they have to do, whether they feel good, bad, or indifferent, something that pulls them along. And we find as we surrender more to this process through the people that we meet and the inspiration that we get from our guests, that we get to live more and more the life that is ideal for us. And visiting the UN was certainly that for me. Foster Costa of the Home Shopping Network says we are doing radio which will change the world. And our listeners say, you know, I agree. Because we're bringing you conversations that you might not hear anywhere else. Uh, we don't have a lot of good answers. What we have are um, different things that have happened as, as people have gone through time and space. And Jonathan Granoff, he, whoo, whoo, I don't know how you do it, Jonathan. I think it's a blessing that Moon is there. <clears throat> and... Moon's the name of my wife. And your two wonderful kids, too. I just found out about them the other day. I was Dean and is it Yimmy? And Yimmy. There you go. So, Lisa? Yes. Jonathan Granoff has a family that's very important to him, and underneath all of the talking that he does and what we've gone through, I thought perhaps, um, Jonathan, you might like to let our listeners know what happened April 20th at the UN, and that's is that both um, Lisa and her friend Kim and I participated, but... I'd love to hear it from the organizer's point of view. Sure. Well, we wanted to properly honor Senator Alan Cranston. And so let me give a little background on Senator Cranston. In the 1930s, he was a journalist in Ethiopia, and he saw the invasion by the Italians, the fascist Italians, who you know decimated villages and did horrible things in the name of their fascist ideology. And he began studying that, and of course he studied Mein Kampf, and he found that the American people were just totally unaware of how dangerous this ideology pursuing world domination uh, of, of the Nazi party was. So he took it upon himself, an individual just like some individual who's listening to this radio show, to do something about that. And he raised some money, and he published Mein Kampf, with commentaries that he wrote in the columns. Hitler and the Nazis sued him huh? in a federal district court in Connecticut to enjoin the publication because it was a copyright violation. Nevertheless, he was able to get over 500,000 of them distributed <laughs> before it was stopped. And I believe that that effort was instrumental in alerting the American people to this danger on their horizon which they couldn't avert, but they had to respond to. Jonathan, it sounds like we've got danger again. So in 1949, he met uh, Albert Einstein, um, who explained to him 
I, maybe it was maybe it was a little earlier than that, but uh, Einstein explained to him the what happened in, what really happened in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, much of which was suppressed. And Alan uh, and Einstein explained that if we didn't work to eliminate nuclear weapons, that they would certainly eliminate humanity. And he devoted his life to that cause. In the, in the meantime, he was became a senator for California for over 24 years. He was uh, a leader in the environmental movement, in the women's uh, rights movement, in the civil rights movement. In the, uh, he was the first senator to get up and say, I'm against the war, but I'm for the veterans. So the veterans loved him because he really cared about their benefits and the medical needs of, of veterans. Education. The rights of, we were with him one day in, in Washington, and they had one of those indentations on the sidewalk for wheelchairs. But he said, you see that indentation? I made that. He just, in passing. And we thought he'd fallen and knocked his head on it on there, you know, years before. But what he was referring to that was the legislation that made it easy for people in wheelchairs to get around. Oh, wow. So he was a, he was a very, very great man and one of America's great senators. And when he retired from the Senate, he formed the Global Security Institute, um, which is focused on on reducing threats posed by nuclear weapons and working toward uh, their elimination. He had a motto, which was that nuclear weapons are unworthy of civilization. And uh, we have been giving uh, awards in his name for several years. And we felt that... that uh, that virtue needs to be extolled, that good men and the good good work that they do and good women and the good work that they do needs to be in the public forum. I mean, the public forum is just dominated by the pornography of the trivial. And and it's, it's really difficult to get the microphone for the thoughtful and the caring. And so we thought, gosh, we need to have a venue that's of peerless uh, reputation and uh, with... Tom DeLay and his like, we really couldn't do the Congress, and uh, and the White House would be problematic under the present circumstances. So the best venue that we and the Hollywood Bowl, you know, they're always getting divorced and carrying on. And I know there'd be a lot of cleavage, and it would be very interesting for people, but not really appropriate. And so we wanted some place that would have the proper weight and gravitas, uh, and be the right stat, stature, and we wanted it in America, so we picked the United Nations. This is superb. Very good. And uh, we also wanted to make sure that it was at the right level for these critical times and that the speakers would do justice to the, to the life of Senator Cranston. And so I called uh, my friend Mikhail Gorbachev, who uh, was the, uh, was the uh, head of the Soviet Union and who really put in motion Bringing, uh, bringing an end to communism uh, in a peaceful way, a true visionary of our time. Now, President Gorbachev had not spoken at the UN since December of 1988, when he was the first world leader to point out that our destiny would now be common or we have no destiny. In other words, that because of environmental uh, threats uh, and nuclear weapons threats, we have to have a new level of global cooperation. And he really called for the end of the Cold War, to peacefully end the Cold War in that speech. And he hadn't spoken at the U.N. since then, so we wanted to have a historic moment. 
And then we needed to give an award to somebody who would be, you know, who's really had done something for the whole planet. And uh, we felt that Ted Turner, uh, in being 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 a, a model of, of what a businessman can do. I mean, remember this guy was just selling billboards in 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 Georgia, and from his vision of a global network, he created CNN. And uh, he's done more to preserve the environment and work to make us safer than any individual I can think of. And so uh, we we decided we'd give the Alan Cranston Peace Award to Ted Turner because Ted uh, knew Senator Cranston pretty well and was inspired by Senator Cranston. But then I felt, well, gosh, with these, with myself and these two other guys, we have a little bit of a testosterone imbalance. And so we had to find some women. <laughs> so you got Jane, huh? Some women who were uh, who were uh, leaders and, and stronger than than these guys and than the men who were speaking. And <laughs> and uh, so we invited Kim Campbell, who was the uh, minister of defense, and then she was the minister of justice, and she'd been a senator, and she was the minister, the prime minister of Canada, and thus the first woman head of government in North America. To preside. She was on Bill Maher last night, by the way, and she oh, did a brilliant job. That's fabulous. And uh, and we had Jane Goodall, uh, who was a UN messenger of peace and a primatologist, because we wanted to get that perspective of the integration of life. And Jane is uh, Jane is soft but powerful. Uh, Jane is motherly but strong and assertive. Uh, Jane is the you know can balance out uh, any number of primates and alpha males when necessary. <laughs> That's funny. And so that was the thinking behind it. And so uh, th- that's what we did on April 20th. And we didn't have – oh, and uh, also we wanted some youth, so we had a, a children's choir from, from uh, high school in Harlem with 65 kids uh, singing inspirational songs. Right, a new, a new day beginning. Yeah. The only thing we didn't have uh, – and, and we could have, we usually do – for these things get movie stars, but I just felt that there's just too much of that, and it would really have diminished the sobriety, and there's just, frankly, there's just too much uh, celebrity preoccupation but in know, American really, culture. It's a perfect time to mention that Pierce Brosnan and Robin Williams really have been powerful in this um, organization. I'm not sure of other people, but those two in particular, you know, I saw, the, I saw Robin at Senator Granson's funeral. So we have some strong voices in Hollywood, and they happen to be some celebrities. Oh, oh yeah, they're very yeah. There's lots of celebrities. Are yeah, but anyway, we made it. There's lots of celebrities. Uh, artists are usually very open-hearted people, particularly actors, because they have to empathize with lots of different mm-hmm. character types. So they're and people who have open hearts in terms of their consciousness. Are you know they're just normally more evolved because their hearts are open and they care and so they they actually do learn about issues and Pierce is an example of somebody who really cares about the environment and nuclear weapons issues and Michael Douglas is the same way and exactly and uh, and actually Robin Williams it is every person on the planet so that's why he has <laughs> major schizophrenia well done huh um, but we decided consciously not to do that not to. Uh, not to bring any movie stars into the equation, and because we had so much, we had so much uh, uh, beauty of ideas. Oh, totally! And the way it was set up um, with you and um, 
Gorbachev and Ted Turner on the couch at the dinner. Yes. That was so cool. Well, you better explain. We weren't sort of like on the, uh, <laughs> on the couch. Yeah, yeah it was that dinner. You just don't do that. <laughs> Well, obviously, we need a little levity here, Jonathan. Um, we were at a dinner. By the way, I will say that of all the dinners I have ever had prepared for me at a group meeting, that was the best fish I've ever had in my whole life. Mm-hmm. I went, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm actually having a decent dinner. It's always like, oh, how could they do this salmon? They like salmon or chicken. It was, uh, it was Chilean sea bass. It's fabulous. And I didn't get to eat it because I was doing the dialogue. Too bad. And wait, wait. And then on Monday, um, we I put together an event at the UN with Hans Blix, who was the person who actually did disarm Saddam Hussein, so that this war was unnecessary. Remember, he was head of the UN inspectors that yes. actually got rid of the weapons. Yes. Wow. And we had Congressman Kurt Weldon, who's a very conservative Republican from Pennsylvania, and Congressman Ed Markey, who's a very progressive Democrat from Massachusetts, in a dialogue. I conducted a dialogue with the two of them. And again, <laughs> again, I didn't get to eat this great meal. I didn't even say, oh, it's this great meal. And I didn't get it again because, um, uh, oh, I, 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 you know, I felt it was more important that we should. We're going to have to get you a Johnny bag. Some ideas. Bag. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we need to get over these problems. Of, uh, I, truly, listen, I'm sorry, but we're humans. And as long as we're humans, eating is required at some place. And I have to tell you, I just that used to be well fed at these things. So, but I was well fed on a number of levels. One of the things that I really appreciated was the um, translators that you had on the tables for all of us. Right, that was that, great. That was really that was really nice, and it just made it so simple to understand what Gorbachev was saying, and the interaction and um, Ted Turner's candor about a, a wide variety of conversations. You know, what a funny right-on man. And, and well-spoken. So he, ha- he has no filter between his mind and his mouth. And it's well-mouthed. And his mind, is, his mind is the mind of a genius. So you just get this great access to, to a genius, to one of, the great, uh, one of the great minds of our time. I'm and glad you said that because, Jonathan, when I met him, you know, you only have like 30 seconds to introduce yourself that, to somebody. Yeah. I said to him, Ted, Turner, I would appreciate it if you would permit me a download of your mind so I can give away as much as you do. Uh-huh. And he liked that. <clears throat> but it's true. You know, that is a, that's a, that is a brilliant mind. And he's, and, uh, and he's a generous-hearted man, and he's done an enormous amount of good, and he doesn't keep score by money the way most of these billionaires do. He keeps score by achievement and by enriching people's lives. Well, this is what's powerful, and what I was hoping to do today... Um, Lisa, who you've been hearing here that was there with me, her segment has been a segment called Family Matters. Yes. Okay? And it's like we need to connect the heart of the families up to the heart of what's going on in in the U.N. and make the U.N. a stronger place. And you were addressing earlier, I think, that that was actually threatened. What can Lisa tell people and what can our families do? To, to well, the whole, you know, the, the, the not, you know, Hitler's mantra to gain power was family and homeland. Really? A little sprinkle of traditional Christianity. I mean, that was all, that was all of his speeches when he to get to leverage it up. Because everybody, of course, loves family. My, you know, primates, we're primates and right. we love family. Uh, but the purpose of family is it's a crucible for learning how to become human. And it's a crucible where you, for families to work, you start with the golden rule. You do, do to the other members of your family as you want them to do to you. 
parents treat children with love and respect, and they're going to get that love and respect in return. Um, but family is also a place to consecrate, to work with the sacred, to and the, the root word of sacred is the same root word of sacrifice. When you make that commitment in a marriage and when you bring children into the world, you're really saying, I'm going to sacrifice of myself for these others. And if you understand that what sacrifice really is, is giving up something for the other out of love, it becomes a liberating experience. And so the service that you do as a parent or in the context of a family or a child in the context of a family is a way of getting liberated from egocentricity. And egocentricity is the greatest burden that humans can have. When you get liberated from egocentricity, then your heart can open up and you can learn about compassion and learn about your humanity. When that's the purpose of your engagement in family, when it is to become more human and more open, then it's healthy. When, however, the focus is the family, focus on the family, when the focus is the family, it's toxic because then it becomes a, uh, a, 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 a homeland security mentality. I'm protecting my family against all of them. Right, exactly. And that and it's is us versus them. Us versus them, and that is the family values we're hearing out of the fundamentalist community, not the family values that Jesus uh, taught, which was a family values for the entirety of the human family. As 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 the master said, I came for the sinners. You know, I came came to embrace everybody. Right. That's the that's the family that Jesus taught. And the purpose of the nuclear family, of integral families, is to open people to that higher humanity. Now, this day and age is the first time in which this spiritual admonition, this spiritual insight that we are indeed one human family, and practical necessity of dealing with global threats such as the ozone, protecting the oceans, protecting the rainforest, things that can only be done at a global level, the practical necessity of working as one human family and the spiritual insight that we are one human family coincide. And the institutional place where that must take place is the United Nations. And this ideology that we're seeing spreading in the United States of the U.S. as somehow can be exceptional, can be separated, can have special treatment in the world is tearing at the, at the very fabric of the unity of the human family. And that's the same thing that happened in Rwanda after the Belgians taught the, the tribes members that they were different levels. Well, I think, yes, absolutely. But the better example is we did this once before with the League of Nations, where the right wing of the Republican Party would not ratify our, uh, the treaty that created the League of Nations. The consequence, of course, was Nazi Germany and World War II. Oh, my God. Uh, that, that's the consequence of, so we, so, we're, we're, we're exactly where we were in the late 1920s when these same voices promoting this, this kind of isolationist U.S. exceptionalism paradoxically with the left hand and with the right hand saying, well, we have a right to take all the resources on the planet as we please, when we please, however we please, because we're special. This attitude shredded the League of Nations, and we didn't have a U.N., now the same attitude that the U.S. should engage in the U.N. only for its national self-interest is threatening the fabric of the human family, the unity of the human family, the principle that we're all equal under the eyes of the law, and the treaty where all of this comes together, in my opinion, is the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty. 
the idea that we are not living up to our commitment to push for a world in which nobody has nuclear weapons, our assertion that we can have nuclear weapons and others can't is simply not sustainable. No, it's not. It's no. But how do we go into those communities? I mean, it's like we can become more. I mean, this is this is conscious awareness. This conversation, I mean, this is what needs to be permeated right here, the, the, the global family. I and mean, he's so exactly right when he talks about um, it's not a us versus them. And, the, and how media, I mean, you look at all these little things that people put on their desk, and you're, you're exactly right, family first. Um, you know, I mean, I'm sure I'm guilty of it myself, thinking of it that way. And until I sat down with a, a guy who who did meditation, I can't remember with some monks or something like that for several like years. And he, um, I said, well, what'd you get out of it? And he goes, I got that we're all one, that it's not a separation between you and me, and that it, and that because <clears throat> I always used to tell my husband, it's you and me against the world. Yeah. And he goes, no. He goes, you need to say you and I are the world. And then, and, and it's a shift in consciousness. That's what we need to do from, and that's what I, that's what I always say, peace starts at home, but it's how we look at those things, and, and that's where we can start, because it has to start there. It's how, how we teach our kids, how we raise them, and, and then what we, you know, because there, it's how we raise them in, not only in our home, but how we raise them in our communities, and then out from there. But how do we take that? And, and put those seeds in the other communities and other countries so that, you know, we're all unified. I think that's what everybody's afraid of, Jonathan. It's like, okay, we're all this, we might become conscious and aware, but also we have to keep in mind that our goal may be peace, but at the same time we have to be aware that we have our brothers who are in fear. They haven't been raised that way, and they still think that the U.S. is, you know, the bad guy, and they want to protect themselves from us, therefore they create nuclear weapons. How do we deal that, with that? that? That's just simply not the case. There, I mean, that's just not true. There aren't any. There, there, there are people creating nuclear weapons because we've gone to war with them, mm-hmm. because we bombed them and their neighbors, and we then we told the American people we're bombing them to preemptive bring bombing democ- to bring them democracy. Yeah, bring them democracy. We're, we're dropping depleted uranium weapons on their children and then telling them to love us. Uh. Hello. How do we take it back now? How, it's, how do we know, as a cannot, You first, you know, if you deal with an alcoholic, and, the, you know, if you've done, obviously you've done some kind of family therapy, and you mm-hmm. have a family, and you have somebody who's drunk in the house and beating up on everybody, the first thing you do is you take the bottle away from them. You can't, you can't heal the alcoholic while they're drunk. And you can't, you can't bring about uh, peace while you're promoting war. Yeah, I'll just give an example. I'm just reading this thing by Selig Harriman, you know, from the Har- Harriman family. He just came back from North Korea, and, and I was with Kurt, Congressman Kurt Weldon, this conservative Republican, the other night at the U.N., and they're all coming back and saying, hey, the Koreans just want to normalize. But we still haven't called an end to the Korean War, you know. That's the first thing they want. You don't see that in the newspapers. What do the Koreans want? They want to call an end to the Korean War. They want to normalize relations. They're isolated, they're desperate, they're poor, they have a tyrannical regime, but they know that they can't, that, that the leaders there know it's not sustainable. They know they can't go on like this. And on the other hand, they know that if they let loose too quickly, they themselves are going to get hung. But they, but they feel threatened because the, here's the U.S. taking the position, you're bad, you're evil, and disarm, and then we'll talk. Well, you can't 
say I'm going to punch uh, you. can't tell somebody I'm going to punch you in the nose, put your arms down. If we want to, if we if we say, on the other hand, we recognize the the system of sovereignty. You're a sovereign. We don't like you. We think you're tyrants. We think you're terrible. But you are a sovereign state, and you can't have these weapons. They'll get rid of the weapons if they have that assurance. And you know what? If we don't trust them, and we shouldn't trust them, then you send in inspectors. And how many inspectors do you need? As many as you need to feel secure, as many as it takes. And what did the Koreans say? Fine. What did the Iraqis say? Fine. What did Bush say? He pulled the inspectors out. He pulled the inspectors out, and even today we don't have inspectors in there. So we didn't safeguard the nuclear facilities in Iraq, and we haven't sent inspectors in there since we invaded the place to go and look for the stuff that got stolen. Well, so the worst countries... of all possible policies and the worst of all possible dangers. How can Nuclear people trust us then? with irrationality. <laughs> go for it, Lisa. How can, Jonathan, how can other countries trust us now that we would, we would, or somebody made up false claims that there, that these weapons of mass destruction did exist and, they, and then spread it throughout our media, get the whole nation up in arms about it to justify something? How is another country going to go, how, okay, you're going to bring in inspection well, people? You have, first, Lisa, you have to, you know, you, to diagnose an ailment, you have to speak straight. Dick Cheney lied. Not somebody. Dick Cheney said on Tim Russett, I know they, that, the, that the Iraqis have nuclear weapons. So that's a lie. That's okay. not true. And we lost the election because uh, 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 you know, John Kerry didn't say it straight. And people are just not talking straight. Now, then if somebody tells you something that's not true, you have to say that's not true. It's a lie. Now, they, might, they may be able to explain it and say, well, somebody lied to them. But he didn't say, I believe it. He didn't say, we have some intelligence that indicates it, which they didn't, by the way. Uh, wow. We had a lot of, a lot of intelligence said that, that it's not there. But he didn't say, we think it's there. He said, we know it's there. And then our Secretary of State went in front of the United Nations and said, we know they have biological weapons. Well, these things simply were not true. And we can't, we can't pretend that it's business as usual when our leaders are not going to tell us the truth. Well, Jonathan, what is it that we, what can we do, or what is it that, that, that Bush and Cheney are trying to feed? What is it that they feel so powerful about that they need to delight the American public and about these countries and take our resources and our, our boys, which I have a 19 and 20 year old boy that, you know, I don't feel comfortable sending them over to war for this. And and in, in basically putting our kids at risk for what? What is it? Um, what what is it? What is their aspiration? Yeah, we'll just follow the money. I don't see what's the secret. I don't see any big secret here. Uh, you know, they they uh, they are the oil companies have gotten extremely rich in the last few years. The military contractors have gotten extremely rich. They funded all these projects. And the, uh, tele, the televangelists have gotten extremely rich. But, you know, as far as I understand, the message of Jesus is to serve the poor and to serve the dispossessed and not to pursue the powers of the world. So I don't understand their religion. The, 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 the vision of America is a country based on accountable, 
government. I'm a conservative. I think the government should be limited and accountable. These guys want the government to be secret. They have their secret meetings, Cheney's Secret Energy Task Force. Who are these people? We didn't vote them in. And then, uh, so the whole idea of America being based on the rule of law, limited, accountable government, they don't believe in that. They just, you know, it's, it, I, I don't see anything really secret about their, their uh, plans. They say what their plans are. They say their plans are global dominance. They say who they, what kind of energy program they, they want. They, they want say they want to have nuclear energy and more oil energy. They don't want renewable energy. They say the way they're going to deal with, our, with forest fires is to cut down the trees beforehand and, sell the, and let their friends sell the timber. Uh, their plans for a sustainable future don't exist. Because because they just are uh, intoxicated with with their power, I, I just don't see any real secret to it all. You just look at what they, so they do. The old story of power and greed. Then that's the root. Yeah, it's just it's just an, it, it's just that they've been able to um, steal the symbols that we associate with other things. Like I associate the American flag with freedom, democracy, and accountable government. I associate the cross with love and service. I associate the dollar with fiscal responsibility. I mean, this military buildup that they're doing, um, excuse me, but we're borrowing money from China to do it. I just think that's ridiculous. To well, make I'm ourselves afraid China's to the gonna, Chinese? China's taken all of our business. I don't understand how in the heck our government can allow, I mean, everywhere you look, it's Chinese-made. Yeah, well, you because know, there's money to be made. one cent on the dollar, that's why. Because the people that are financing this uh, this group that's taken over uh, are making an enormous amount of money on the cheap labor in China, and they're and and in order to do that, they're uh, in order to do that, our government is borrowing money from the Chinese, and this is extremely irresponsible. And I, you know, I, I I'm a big big supporter in a bipartisan dialogue and. They've undermined the, the bipartisan respect. I brought a, a Republican congressman up to the U.N. on Monday so that people could hear him. There are a lot of Republicans who are extremely responsible, who really believe in conservative principles of government and accountability, but they're just slapped into line. There's a lot of Republicans who don't, who are not warmongers and are we not need, looting the Treasury. Lots we need to of take them. a break here, you guys. Lisa, no. Lisa did you know? <laughs> no. You said you wanted to leave for your plane. Now, if you stay longer, it's out of my hands. Okay. okay. Well, well, I, no, I, I, well I, I like what you said. I'm just going to say this because i got to run the airport, Jonathan. But listen to what he said. He said they take the symbols, you know, of Christianity. They take the symbols of the American flag. I mean, we all have everyone got stickers to support our troops and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's, and, and what, what was the other symbol? That the they, symbol is the dollar, the dollar, which is based on fiscal <clears throat> responsibility and in keeping a strong economy. We're and we're getting it right collapsed together, collapsed together in people that ordinarily, I think, are, uh, are, you're right, responsible individuals naturally tend to want to support those symbols. Yes. Yeah, those symbols. So, are, folks, who you've been listening to? <laughs> Is Lisa Molson of Family Matters, and you're listening to Jonathan Granoff of the Global Security Institute, and you're here at Waking Up in America, Heaven Incorporated, all spelled out, dot com. Please visit our website and um, sign up to be a new listener. Well, if you if you sign up on that list, you'll know who's going to be on the next week. We send out little e-cards and little letters for that, and you may want to keep a paper and pen handy so you can jot things down. For instance, you can find out 
mouth more about Jonathan Granoff at globalsecurityinstitute.org. You can also go to the UN, and you can get a lot of selections, actually, if you Google it. If you go to the UN and go to their uh, their webcast, look at the press conference we did with on April 20th with Gorbachev and Turner, and the press conference with Hans Blix on May 9th, and you can you can stream it right off the UN's website. Yeah, it's perfect. And I also just want to. I actually took some notes when Ted Turner was talking. <laughs> I was so enjoyable to hear him actually not stepping over some of the things that that Jonathan and Lisa and myself have certainly not been stepping over today. And what we were talking about was, he was talking about, was how you can have some people that have and some people that have not, which was the case in Rwanda, which is being created here. Um, It's being created all over the place. It's being created through the nuclear weapons. Our country gets to have them. Your country does not. Anytime you do that, you're setting up a a rebellion. The Rwandan rebellion took 80 years to manifest from 1916. I believe it was 1996. I don't know how long this rebellion is going to take, but the backlash on what's happening now could actually destroy the world, and that's what we're concerned about. Um, so now what do we do? That's well, the wait question. A, just let me finish here. Ted Turner, Ted Turner had some statements that um, he made, and he said that you can't have the haves and the have-nots. You have to change that. He said, our government, is our government honest? And ethical, no. And we still have to actually work with that. He said the U.N. will be just as good as the member states make it. So our government is going to be just as good as we make it. And it's time that we cannot silently let things slip by anymore. And if somebody really wanted to get up today and stand up, Jonathan, and make a difference, or and Maureen and um, Sheree, if you have any questions to ask, please do that. If you wanted to stand up and make a difference, really, where would you go? How would you direct them, Jonathan? Well, I, I would ask I would ask them to look deep in their heart to determine what is their what area they want to make the difference in, and and where where they where well there's one <laughs> there's one aspect which is how to make a political difference. There's yeah. Another aspect which is how to recover your humanity, and they're really two different they're 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 two different modalities. One be, they both are rooted in the same values of love and caring, but you got to look in different places. To fulfill those different modalities, to fulfill the modality of your personal uh, personal responsibility to your soul and to your own being, you have to look in your heart and see where what skills you have, make a serious sober evaluation of what you really value, and then develop some skill that's of use to others, whether it's in healing, in teaching, in business, and uh, you can do a lot of good in business or law. Or, 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 or art, whatever, whatever your passion is, and then develop that skill and dedicate it. Make the intention to dedicate that in service, uh, in service to the divine and in service to others. Well, you if know, you make that intention, please let me say, if you make that intention, these are, these are real questions, I and mean, there aren't simple, simple, the answer is simple, but you've got to state it out. Once that intention is clear and firm, then the universe will conspire to fulfill that, but you've got to be sober about that intention. The other aspect is political, which is to find political candidates who support those values and are going to be honest and hold them accountable and really get on them. And if you have a congressman or a senator, get organized people, because that's what's involved in that is numbers and people and organized people, and demand answers from them. And if they don't give them, then get somebody else in there to speak on your behalf. 
I was also thinking when you, if you're a singer or if you're an athlete and you take that form of your athlete, your, the, the life of being the athlete or the life of being the singer and you take that to its greatest extent and you become a leader, one of the things that we were talking about before the show started was the younger people becoming leaders. And I was telling Jonathan that I had met a 19-year-old who was the first elected to office of his age and he can't even vote. So I found that a really amazing thing. But what I'm also looking at is I'm seeing that people in different fields can offer leadership too. So Every you don't person, have to be a politician to say something about this. Absolutely. There's lots of different you know programs out there. Like Jane Goodall's got a great program for youth called Roots and Shoots. Roots and Shoots? Yeah. And, you know, and, you know, and again, I say, you know, you don't have to join a particular political party. There's virtues in the Republican Party. In their, in their, you know, in, in, in their ideology, and there's virtues in the Democratic Party, but there's no place for lying. There's no place for stealing. There's no place for, uh, for, 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 uh, for causing wars that don't, uh, don't have to be. Those things are just not acceptable for Democrats or Republicans. And, and our Democrats, uh, gave Bush a free hand and have not held him accountable at all. Not sufficiently. They're not speaking out sufficiently for, for what's at risk. Well, what do we do to, to what do we, we do? We have to do it. We have to do it. You and me and whoever else, you know, you know, we're responsible for our lives. Well, 300,000 people will hear this message this month. How many? 300,000. Oh, that's, that's a lot of people. I know. We're working at it, Jonathan. I mean, if 300, well, I, I wouldn't expect everybody to resonate with this. I mean, I don't think everybody's going to agree with what I'm saying. I mean, that would be, uh, I think the world would be a very, Stupid and boring place if everybody always agreed. First of all, you'd never learn tolerance and appreciation. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you know. But you know, it's the variety of points of view that make life rich. But but I think that there will be some people who agree and will feel morally compelled to speak out for peace and nonviolence and for our higher human qualities. Well, let me just find out something. Lisa, are you still here? Yeah, I'm on my phone. So you need, you, you need, <laughs> so what I wanted to do was, Sheree and, and um, Maureen have been remarkably, incredibly generous in their listening, and I wondered if either of you had questions that you wanted to ask, and I also wanted to let our listeners know that Lauren Miner, his, um, he has a death in his family that he's taking care of today, and he sends you his love, and he'll be back with us next week, and George Rachevsky, True Leadership, will be back next week as well. But we do have the diva, and we do have Cherie, and I wondered uh, what questions either of you would like to ask your Jonathan. Well, I am just flabbergasted. I just love your conversations always, Jonathan. Thank you. Do you have an arm for youth in the Global Security Institute? <laughs> well, we're not a mass movement organization at this point. Uh, well, maybe it should be, huh? Well, I mean, I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking of going that direction. We've sort of stayed pretty focused with, I, I'm, I'm a lawyer with an expertise in international law, and I've tried to stay pretty focused within the skill set that we have and and uh, and uh, to focus on, you know, laws and treaties, and that's pretty boring to people. Uh, but... Uh, I'm powers. thinking. I'm thinking because more and more people are saying, you know, gosh, you know, we need this kind of uh, attitude in the public forum. More, get more public. It's, it's really bizarre because you need to get a public relations person, and you, then you have to go out and yeah. have them tell everybody that you're really 
great, and then you have to publish a book that dumbs down your ideas so that it can be popular, and then you have to put your picture out there, and it's really ironic. My father, my father was the press agent for Frank Sinatra, really, Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis, and Doris Day. So I grew up in pop culture, and I know how to do that. But Tell them who your mother is. My mother was a famous singer, Kitty Callen. So I grew up in that culture, um, and, and I know what's involved, and, 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 and it means making a personality out of yourself and marketing it. And uh, have, a good, have a good cause behind it, though, too. <laughs> you got to get out of yourself. you got to get out of your head, Jonathan. <laughs> this is very funny because she couldn't be on the show because she didn't have time. I'm and on the road. I'm calling you from the road. <laughs> because she can't stop the conversation. Now okay. we can just ignite America like we got you got Lisa going. Okay, you book me on you book me on Bill Maher's show. I'll go on there and I'll, I'll get I'll down there. I think that's exactly. And Kim can get you on there because she was just on last night. Yeah, I I, I suppose I like being on your show. You've three hundred thousand people. There, plenty of people to talk to. Yeah. Well, you know, we're working on getting it bigger. Listen, if I'm able, I, I'm, if I'm able to communicate with my two teenage sons, I really think anything. I've had a good day. Shereed, <laughs> 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 um, you're getting real staticky, Liz. Okay, I'm gonna take okay. off. Take care. Yeah. I there we go. I was thinking when the static came in, you know, the kids say, "Keep it real." Yeah. Well, it's real. <laughs> it was even realer. Cherie, I know you were uh, wanting to say something this morning. I wanted to respond. She said, "Do we have an arm?" Yes, of course. There's, of course, we need your help. Uh, I think the most important thing is take a look at our website and then uh, see if there's some, you know, one of the issues that we're that we've taken on. Hey, Send us an email, and and we'll find some way for you to, you know, to, to contribute to Just to make it. Just give Tyler the webcam and ask for him. Then they can sign up under his name. Pardon? Has Tyler be in charge? What is he, 24? Tyler, Tyler just, we lost Tyler to Yale University. What? Yeah, he, he went, he's at Yale getting a master's degree in divinity. Yeah, well, I mean, do, that's good for divinity. It's good for <laughs> Yale, but it's not. <laughs> so who do you have of that age group there now? Oh, I have lots of kids. Uh, lots of them, though. They come and volunteer in droves. They, the kids are desperate for truth. I mean, they're desperate for somebody... I won't say I have the truth or like that, but sincerity, and uh, that that we have, and you know, we're, we're we're saying it as clearly as we can. So I have a, a, quite a number of interns and uh, and and people in their twenties. Well, this is yeah. <laughs> I have to tell you, um, we're actually like twenty minutes over. So I did the same thing Lisa did because I didn't want to uh, stop the conversation. I'm sorry. Don't be sorry. I, 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 Keep what you're doing, time. huh? I ate up somebody else's time. No, no, you didn't, because we actually had two guys that couldn't be on today. Oh, okay. And then I gave you my time as well, because that's what I wanted to do, because I thought the conversation was that important. Yes. Well, we didn't even get into what Gorbachev said in the first speech that he made at the U.N. since 1988, and we didn't get into what Blick said on, on Monday at the U.N., so I would urge listeners... Go to the United Nations website. They have their webcasts, and go and just you can stream what uh, what these guys said by going to the May 9th press conference with Hans Blix, who was the guy who did disarm Saddam Hussein. Well worth listening to. Okay, 
and then go to the go to the press conference we did on April 20th, and you can listen to Mikhail Gorbachev, Ted Turner, and Jane Goodall yourself. Yeah, well, what we're also doing is we're going to be putting together some what we call special reports, Jonathan, and right now we're working out things with um, Jane Goodall and also Barbara Mueller and Robert Mueller. Oh, so, they were there! Yes. Yeah, oh, were everyone there. should read everything by Robert Mueller. So he is we, one of the great visionaries of our time. He helped start 11 U.N. agencies. He's way up in his 80s, and he showed up at the event on April 20th. And he I played mean, the harmonica. He played uh, Ode to Joy. But the fact that he was there, you've no idea what wind uh, in the sails of my heart that was, to see him come to an event that, I mean, he's one of my heroes, and he was there in the audience, and I was so moved. This, I mean, this is a man who saw the armies of World War I and World War II march across his uh, homeland in Alsace-Lorraine, and, you know, between Germany and the area, Germany and Luxembourg and Holland and France, that area, and there were all these armies of young, young European Christian men who walked across and slaughtered each other, and then when the UN came, he leaped into it with a passion that lasted for like 40 years of service, and he accomplished so much, and he's totally egoless, and he's the kind of person that uh, that that youth need to see, you know, elders who are ripe fruit, who've 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 been uh, purified by the crucible of service and conflict. So I have a brilliant idea. Since we're now almost 20 minutes over, <laughs> what we need to do is we need to have you come back next month, and we need to put some things together so that we actually have something different to tell the listening audience about, because the youth conversation has come up now four times today. Uh huh. So it's time for us to mobilize that somehow. So let's speak in the interim, and let's have listeners. Um, you can go to our website at Have It Incorporated, all spelled out, dot com, and you can send us your comments and sign up to know who's going to be on in the next week and such. And what we'll do is we'll see if we can get some, create some kind of an action so that the that the youth group gets gets acknowledged and begun. Oh, and in Southern California, there's a group called the Nuclear Age Peace Foundation that my friend David Krieger uh, helps lead, nuclearnapf.org, and they have some youth programs that are excellent. And the Jane Goodall Institute has some really excellent youth programs. And so I'd like to recommend those two for people to go look yeah, at. Yeah, we're going to create a special video. report with all of you. That's just the way it has to happen. Fabulous. Jonathan, thank you for your incredible generosity, and I know how you were pinched I am. beyond belief today. And yeah, I, 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 got, I went to bed at about 4.15 yesterday morning. And you sound so good. It must be what it sounds like when spirit's moving. It's moving you. at everybody, you know. Yeah, well, you're, it, it was a brilliant conversation today. Thank Very you. Brilliant, and I totally appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you for letting me speak. <laughs> Take Bye. Care. And following this, hmm, God, Cherie Ross of Essentially Yours. What, yes, dear. What are the oils that are appropriate to this conversation? Um, well, there's a diverse. One of them is harmony, and another is an oil called humility, and those are the two. But then there's the other thing that, and it, it has to do with commerce. And people think, oh, commerce is bad, whatever. But here's the deal: when you engage in partnership, whether it be agricultural partnership or technological partnership with other countries. That's when you establish trust, because trust isn't something you can buy. Trust isn't something that you you um, have you can you know overpower someone with. You have to earn it, and you earn it with time. 
and with circumstance and with experience. Experience is shared. And when you start to work with other other countries in that way, you start to establish trust and you understand that we are all one, as Lisa and Jonathan and everyone has said, is that how much we have in common and how one person's strengths can be another weakness and how, you know, help someone else's weakness and vice versa. And I'm going to give you an example of that. Um, agave. Agave comes from cactus. It is um, a wonderful agave. is actually a plant. It's a spiky plant. It grows in central Mexico. And agave is a wonderful alternative to sugar, phenomenal alternative to artificial sweeteners. The glycemic index is only 8, which means it's, it's spectacularly low. So people who have blood sugar issues, whether it's hypoglycemia or diabetes, what have you, have no problems with this plant. It does not convert to fat in the body like sugar. And it does not uh, create an addictive pattern in the brain like sugar, nor does it have the side effects as a neurotoxin like the artificial sweeteners do, aspartame, NutraSweet, and Splenda, and so forth. And so it's an amazing option for us. The taste is indescribably delicious, to coin a phrase from an old commercial. And and it's it's one of the greatest gifts to give us. The challenge is is that it was no longer available a few years ago because the tequila industry brought bought it all up to make tequila. And so we we could not get it. Well, one of the wonderful things, a couple of gentlemen that I work with went down. They heard about this tribe, if you will, for lack of a better word, a community of natives in central Mexico. And they they heard about them that they might have some wild uh, agave tequiliani, which is the blue agave, which is considered almost like ambrosia or gift, you know, food of the gods for what it does for us. And it tastes just, oh, yummy. And one of the other side effects is it stops your cravings for sugar. So it, it's spectacular and how it supports us physically and um, emotionally, and it's just so good for us. But so anyway, so they went, Mark and a number of other people went down there to check it out, and sure enough. But what was interesting is this was a very impoverished community, very high poverty. Um, what they had for homes, they had 8, 10, 12, 15, however many people living in a shack that had gunny sacks for the walls, cardboard. It had, um, for the roof, they had that uh, tin waffle board that you see on the edge of agricultural buildings. And they used tin cans that were rusty as poles to hold the roof up and to hold the, and to hold the, um, the, the separators, the cardboard up. And this is what the people were living in. They had no schools. They had no sanitary system. It was just amazing. But um, that's all they knew. And they had natural organic agave fields, um, but they were all overgrown with weeds and so forth. So what happened was we came down and we partnered with them. And right now we have built a distillery. We've taught them how to distill. We have helped them to build a school. We've helped them to build some sanitation systems. Um, brought in a teacher, and the, and the local government said if we would supply for a number of years, three, five years, the school supplies, that they would supply the um, uh, salary for a teacher. So we agreed. And we now have agave because of this. So it, it's like we have a mutual commonality, and it's been a wonderful relationship. So that's another way to go about solving some of the problems and where everybody wins. And um, we haven't gone in and tried to change their culture and Americanize them. No. We've just given them a little bit more of a higher quality of life, maintaining within their own cultural what's important to them. So that's a little bit about agave. So what do you think? Oh, did I lose everybody? 
No, I'm here. Oh, oh good. <laughs> <laughs> it was so quiet. You said you were No, I, I have to tell you, it's one of the most fascinating things I ever listened to. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. Let me ask you a quick one. And you know what was, I have to tell you what was really funny is the video crew that went down there to video this to see that it was real because this sounds like something out of the movies. It doesn't sound it like does, it's real. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. And so when they were videoing, <laughs> um, they had multiple video cameras going and they literally backed up right into the agave, which has these long stories. Oh, <laughs> it was wonderful. Not so wonderful to the people who backed up into it. Because they were so caught up in the so, moment, they forgot physically where their body was and where the plants were. <laughs> so I go, but get it. You, have, you, you need to wrap this up in, like, 45 seconds so more well, has a chance. Yes. So if you'd like to learn more about the agave, and then, of course, the oil of harmony. Harmony comes from plants. Um, and it's a spectacular oil that literally shifts the energy, as Jonathan talked about intention. It shifts the energy and creates a new pattern for a way of being and a way of thinking and feeling. Sounds too far-fetched? Give me a call, and I challenge you. You'll, you'll um, prove me wrong. I invite you to do that. Call so, Toll-free, 866-RADIO-99, or heaveninc.com. Rock on. I love these stories. They're getting better and better, and I'm sure they've got the diva all warmed up. Oh, it's been a wonderful conversation today. And this is Maureen O'Crean from distinctivelydiva.com. And I want to share a thought with you that goes along with today's topics, a world without nuclear disarmament, a world where a plant in Mexico can be a healing factor. Today's daily word is believe. Remember when you were little, you believed in all sorts of things, especially yourself. How did we lose that firm, unshakable belief? The magic of the universe needs two things to work for us either a burning desire or our belief in our ability to accomplish something. You don't need to have both. One or the other in its purest form will do. Look back on a time in your life when you made something happen. What was present? Did you have a burning desire or was it a belief, especially if it was something that was impossible in your world? What I want is a belief so strong it's undeniable. I do believe that way about God in my world, about water coming out of the faucet, and that the ocean will be there when I walk down to the beach. I never, ever think, I wonder if the ocean will be there today. I know it will be there, so my mind is free not to worry about that. Today, pick one thing that you can believe in, even if it is only that the sun will come up tomorrow. Strengthen your muscles in believing and one day when you wake up, there will be a belief in yourself so firm that you will know it will never leave you. Rent Peter Pan, the original Disney movie. See the power of believing in action. I have a salt and pepper shaker from Disneyland of Tinkerbell on my desk. Oh, my God. So I will always be present to the power of believing. I knew you and I were more related. I didn't know this. Fourteen times I saw Beaver Pan. Oh, yes. Remember, no one else has to believe in your dream. Only you. So all the power is yours. I do believe in you. I do believe in you. I do believe in you. Whoa, is that perfect? <laughs> this program has been produced by Laughing 
Dragon Entertainment, Kirkyard Media Group, Radio Classrooms of America, our radio partners, ConingCompany.com, Dr. James Murphy in memoriam, our executive producer, Nathan Jett, our associate producer, Lauren Miner. Thanks to all the folks at Voice America, and thanks to our chief technical officer, Pete Laboff, and you, Bent Migan, we love you for creating our music, Almost Ordinary People. And remember, take action on your strongest belief today. There you go, Maureen. Okay. Thank you for joining us today for Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkgaard. Waking Up in America can be heard live every Wednesday, 12 p.m. Pacific Time on voiceamerica.com, and Valerie welcomes all emails at heavenincorporated.com.